advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Hello everyone, this is Amrys Wang from The Raw Entrepreneur. Today, I have a very special lady guest. Her name is Dr. Josie Berg. She is a holistic vet who runs a clinic called Five Elements. And it's a very special name, which I'm going to ask her to, to elaborate because I think it's a very meaningful name. And I just wanted to thank her for making the time to speak to me. <laughs> so, hi, Dr. Josie. Thank you so hi. much for saying yes. Oh, hi there. No, it's my pleasure. I really enjoy doing this. So, and, I, and you said you've been following me for a while, so it's really nice to see somebody face-to-face and hear your voice and... Yeah, have a good chat. We don't, you know, I think we need more discussion in the world yeah. between one another. So. Um, could you share with everyone um, who is Dr. Josie and, you know, what inspired you to, to be who you are? Um, who am I? <laughs> Sometimes that's a good question. I'm, I'm a, I'm, in, in the world, I'm a holistic veterinarian, but where I really got started, honestly, my family, um, I come from cattle ranching families out west in the United States. And so my dad goes, it probably goes all the way back to my grandparents. We always, they had horses and cows. My dad broke, um, trained horses. And we always had animals in our house from the time I was a baby, dogs and cats and birds and horses and all kinds of things. Um, and so I, when I was growing up, I decided I wanted to go into medicine and healing. And my oldest brother was a vet, but my dad said, this was way back in the day, he's like, oh, women can't be vets. And so I literally put it out of my mind and I put all of my schooling into going into medical school. And when I got out of undergrad, I was like, you know, I don't want to go to medical school. If, I, if I'm going to put this much time and energy into something, what, what my passion is, is animals. And so I, um, I picked up two different books. I picked up a book before I'd even decided to go to vet school on, called The Web That Has No Weaver by Ted Kapchuk. And it's one of the first books 
written in English for the Westerner on traditional Chinese medicine. And I read that when I was like a young hippie kid and college kid in Boulder. And I'm like, wow, this just explains this whole universe. And it explains the interconnections. It explains the five elements, the interconnections between the natural world and our bodies and the chi and all of it. And I fell in love with it. And then when I got, when I graduated college, I, the, my first job was actually at a humane society because I'm like, I love dogs. I want to work around animals. And, and then I went to work for several veterinarians working as a kennel tech in their clinics. And this one vet had a box of books in the back room. He had me cleaning out and he's like, oh, you can just throw those away. Well, I love books. So I'm digging through the box and I find Richard Pitcairn's natural health care for dogs and cats. And I was, I was completely, I, because I didn't know what I, at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I opened that book and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're using the TCV, the traditional Chinese medicine for animals and all the herbs and the acupuncture. So in the front of that book, it listed the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. So I called them up and I said, this is what I want to do with my life. How do I do it? And they said, you have to go to vet school. Well, that's like, that was a big, like, obstruction, you know, in my path. It, it just seemed monumental at the time because I, first of all, I knew how difficult it was to apply and get accepted. Secondly, the money and the time and everything else. And so I thought about it really hard and I said, you know, if I have to go to vet school to do this, then I'm going to go to vet school to do it. And I literally pretty much rearranged my life. I, I looked at different veterinary schools and I moved to Wisconsin because it had a brand new vet school. And I figured, you know, I'm going to be walking into this very conventional medical environment and I'm going to tell them I want to do acupuncture and herbs. And they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. This was back in the mid nineties. Nobody was doing hardly so I decided to go to one of the newest veterinary schools there was, and they were, it was in Wisconsin, because I thought, well, maybe they'll be a little bit more open-minded. Mm. And I got in. I only had to take one extra class in order to get in. Out of For 80 spots, there was like 600 applicants. But I had to live in the state of Wisconsin for two years and suffer the weathers to even get into <laughs> school. And I walked in, it was so funny because the first day of veterinary school, I walked in and there was Hill Science Diet handing out free bags of dog food to all the vet students. Now at the time I had already started making my own raw cat food in my kitchen, in my house. Wow. And so I looked at that, I was the only vet student who refused to take that food home to feed my animals. I thought I was crazy. And then I walked upstairs and they had, they had like all the different student clubs had like little booths out on welcoming day for the new students. And the first thing I saw when I walked in was a Doberman laying on the floor with acupuncture needles all down his back. And it was, there was a third year student there and he had started the student chapter of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Ooh. And so I mean, literally, it was like five minutes of me walking in through the door. And I'm like, oh, thank God. You know, I'm like, somebody else here is already doing what I want to do. It was and meant so to be. 
it was totally meant to be. So I, I partnered up with him and I was actually president of our club for three years. I went to all the conferences. I ended up organizing, I, in vet school, I actually designed a second, my own second track in holistic integrative medicine. So I would invite all of these amazing people like um, Alan Schoen and Cheryl Schwartz and all of these amazing practitioners into the vet school to teach on weekends and wow. to give lectures. So I, because I wanted to learn from them, plus I, I introduced all the other classmates to them. And we even, we organized, we had a holistic um, vet conference there three years in a row that I helped organize when I was there. Yeah. So I introduced a lot of people to it and learned a lot. And then I talked the vet school into allowing me, we had to do externships in fourth year where we went out and worked with other vets. And so I figured out a way that I could go to every holistic vet I wanted to go to <laughs> for all my externships. You so had a cunning plan, didn't I you? I had a cunning plan, <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, so by the time I got out, I was, it's what kept me alive though uh, during school. And I also, I went, um, I knew that I had to have something that I could practice when I was in that environment that would just help me psychologically make it through because it was such a, it's like medical school or almost harsher and you just, um, it, it was really tough. So I went and got my Reiki certification, which Reiki is energy, hands-on energy healing. So I, when I got my Reiki certification, I could be standing in front of clinicians in this, like doing rounds down in the clinic and at the same time doing Reiki on an animal long distance across the room. So sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. You were, you were very rebellious, weren't you? Yeah, I was very rebellious. So yeah. So it was, it was good though. But in, in the end, it was really interesting. I, I, the other thing i had a friend who was part of my part of our group and thought a lot the same way i did but she almost got kicked out of school for it because yeah but i also the other thing i did is i got a job down in the veterinary teaching hospital working in the lab so i was the student they called clinicians would have to call in the middle of the night in order to get lab work done on their patients right, right. so everybody knew me by the time I got down there and they had a certain amount of respect for me already so by the time I graduated I didn't go on you know I, I graduated in the top of my class and a lot of people there um, everybody was signing up for internships and residencies and wanted to go on into specialties and I didn't sign up for anything and I remember a clinician came to me and they're like Josie what you know you're like third in the class aren't, aren't you gonna go into surgery or oncology or and I said no I want to do holistic veterinary medicine and he looked at me like oh yeah that woo-woo stuff you do and then he said well I've got an I've got another option for you and he, he took me in they had lost one of the clinicians was leaving in the vet school and they had hired somebody rep to replace them but they couldn't come in right away so he <laughs> Now this was in June and the new, the new class of fourth year students was going to come down into the hospital to do their clinical rounds in like 
two weeks after we graduated. And he looked at me and he said, I would like to hire you to come work in the veterinary teaching hospital as the clinician for our community practice rounds. And I looked at him and I'm like, what? I just graduated. And like the students would all wear blue coats and the clinicians would wear white coats. And I said, I can't turn around like, Friday, I was here wearing a blue coat and walked back into the vet school on Monday wearing a white coat and teach the people that were only a year behind me. And he's like, yes, you can. <laughs> like, so it was really funny. It's, I took the job because it was such great experience and um, ended up teaching there for four months until the other person could come in and take over. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, and, and so even though I was in all this woo-woo stuff, I managed to, to garner that amount of respect. But I worked really hard. You know, I knew I had to keep my grades up and I knew I had to do what I needed to do so that I could do this other thing that wasn't conventionally acceptable. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Wow. This is, this is where I would say you were using both your left and your right brain. Yeah, it's true. Because I'm watching, I'm looking at that <laughs> on the side of your face. And it's very true. The creative side, but yeah. being in Yeah, yeah and definitely. And I, I love, I love your, your chutzpah, really. Your, that that, that gung-ho spirit of yours. Yeah. And, and believe me, I, I don't, now I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I had the guts to even do some of the things I did, but because I'm very introverted, you know, and I have a really gentle spirit, but I also, oh. I have a strength. I do have a strength. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, if you, if you didn't say you were introvert, I would have thought, you know, just listening to, to, to your journey, mm -hmm. I thought, oh my God, she's a go-getter, man. She's like yeah. a... You're like a, what you call it? Like a pit bull or something. You know, you're <laughs> going for it. You're just bulldozing your way, you know, like, you know. Maybe internally, but I mean, my favorite thing, I, I love to just spend a lot of time alone, reading books, hanging out, taking my dog for walks through the woods, you know. Oh, <laughs> Chilling wow. out. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that, you know, at, at um even before you went to vet school, you were already inspired by, you know, the, the holistic side, the, the acupuncture, the, the yeah. you know, the, the alternative ways of healing, you know? Well, part um, of that too, my, my older sister was an old hippie. And when I was, when I was really young, my mom, my mother had really bad allergies and this was in the seventies. And my sister made her go, my sister was 16 years older than me, but she made my mom got all of us actually to go to this nutritionist back in the seventies. And he actually, he read irises. He was a chiropractor. We went in for colonics, the whole, I remember I had like a whole year where we couldn't have any sugar in the house. Wow. We got rid of all the meat and sugar and went on this whole detail talks but it cured my mom's allergies and and you think about it this is back in like the 19 mid 1970s so i was that really influenced me big time obviously because i continue to do you know go to chiropractors and do that i haven't been to a regular conventional doctor since i think my physical exam in high school wow so, wow yeah. And and you've been feeding yeah. your cat raw food, like even before you were, uh, you know, went to vet. Yeah, school. 
I, I found, well, I found Pit Karn's book and I started with that and I started making my own raw food, um, way back then, you know, and then I got, when I was in school, I, you know, I, I ended up doing some commercial. Now I don't have time to do my own raw food. I mean, they get fresh food out of my kitchen, you know, but I do, I primarily do answers right now just because convenient. It's convenient, and I will tell you that food is—it's—it's it's the only food I've seen that actually reverses some pretty long-standing disease. Wow. You know, I'm—I'm I'm really jealous and envious of all of you over there that you can get answers um, because, you know, being in Singapore, I'm on the other side. I actually did write to them. I emailed them. Like uh-huh. I can't remember, like a couple of years ago when you know when I first heard about them because I got really excited. I said, yeah. you know, um, do you? ship to Singapore <laughs> and they were really sweet they said no I'm sorry we only do it you know within the US and I was like Mwah. but you know Billy was he was just doing a class on how to do a more homemade version of answers with the fermentation and stuff oh I missed that out. video I haven't seen that it's video. just brand it's brand new I think it's just this past week okay or, or it might be coming up but he announced it yeah Okay. Yeah, because yeah. it's the I think it's really the fermentation in there that really mm. does amazing, amazing things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh for me I I am a uh I guess I'm a sucker for animals as well. You know, I like I do rescue work, I foster, mm-hmm. I do T N R. Oh great. Uh, over here. I was way I thought I would be doing more of that, but I did, I helped out when I was a shelter veterinarian, I did, but I was way into the TNR movement when mm. I was in vet school. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, uh, to me, um, I remember starting out and, you know, I think like uh, most people in general who are not exposed to holistic alternative options, um, mm. you know, you trust your vet, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember when I started being a, a volunteer and a community cat uh, caregiver. So I'll mm-hmm. feed cats. And I met, you know, my seniors, volunteers who were all feeding dry food, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, you know, just wet canned food. But it's mainly dry food. And I remember the first year when I volunteered, the vet bill shocked me because cause we, 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 we do it out of our own pocket. You know, yeah. no yeah. so independent rescuers. And the, the first year, we spent so much money. And it was like in a thousand, you know, like four digits kind of thing. And I went, this can't be wow. right. There's something wrong here. <laughs> you know, it can't be that mm-hmm. expensive. And why, you know? I, and Why and are these I, animals sick? Yeah. And, you know, um, I have to say thank God for Google, you know, in that <laughs> sense. And the internet in, in, in you mm-hmm. know, uh, so I started to, to, to find out and, and, and about, you know, other alternative options. And, oh. the, and actually one of the, 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 the impetus for me was um, my first adopted cat, Meow. You know, mm-hmm. I got her when she was a kitten. And for the first five years, I brought her to the vet and she was vaccinated for the first five years. And she was on dry food and she was vomiting and I had to switch oh. her from dry to wet canned food. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she's allergic to certain ingredients in the wet canned food. So, you know, still crap happened. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was only this year and just like in the last few months that she started to eat raw food. Oh, and but 12, you managed to get her. Yeah, but she's 12 years old now. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a very long battle. <laughs> you know, with cats, this is so important. And I'm going to put out a blog post on this. It is so important what they get fed when they are baby kittens. Yeah. Because my two cats right now, one of them was, we pulled out of a roof and he, his eyes weren't even open yet. I bottle fed him. And my other cat I found is a three month old kitten in actually younger than that in somebody's front yard. But um, both those, both my cats, I fed them everything. I fed them crappy dry food, horrible canned food. I fed them chunks of steak and fish and different kinds of raw food. And now I can put anything down in those guys' food bowl. When I switched to using answers, I just poured the milk in and the food and they just ate it wow. because I'm their mommy and they trust that whatever I put in there, they'll eat. But I started when they were kittens mm. and it's, they get, if you, if they get, and also that dry food, they literally become addicted to it. I know, it's like it's a kitty crack. Man. Yes, it is. And it's because the companies spend so much time and money researching what to spray on there that will make those cats eat it. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, um, I, I learned the hard way, you know, um, yeah. nutrition is the key. Oh, yes. You yeah. know, you do it right. And you heal the gut because of the gut. And everything else will fall into place. Yes. You know, and yeah. it took me a while to, to learn that and figure it out. But now I would say um, once I switched, now my community cats, they eat uh, a mix of raw and wet, commercial wet canned food because, well, oh, that's they're, great. they're yeah. spray cats and some of them are really, really fussy. But um, yeah. I would say we don't feed dry food anymore. My, my oh, small volunteer great. group, I managed to convert my, my senior volunteers, you know, like oh, awesome. more dry food, yeah. you know, yeah. and we use freeze-dried raw instead as garnishing mm-hmm. on top. Yeah. Uh, so we've actually reduced the vet bills for Damn. our community. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, oh, that's awesome. so basically the only time I would bring a cat in is because it's a newly abandoned cat or rescue from an mm-hmm. isolated case. You know, the ones that we directly feed them this diet, um, they're actually fine until, you know, OH catches up or, you know, because they're strays, they eat eat stuff as well. We're not the only feeders, you know, but we managed to uh, lower the vet bill and they look so good. And I actually had one Mm -hmm. FIV and FELV positive um, cat Mm -hmm. who almost died, but we switched him to raw. And then he thrived and he, he, his coat changed and everything. And he's a stray. And, you know, wow. people couldn't recognize him. Oh, wow. They thought he was a new cat in the hood. Aww. I said, no, no, no. It's, it's still Ashley. It's still him. You know, but, but he's developed a taste for the role. Yeah. And because he was hunting, that's how he, you know, he, he, he killed rats wow. and stuff. Uh-huh. And we sort of figured out, well, if he's, if he's eating the rat, yeah. he'll eat the role. You know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, you know, and the minute he started, we switched him off even from the wet canned food and just yeah. raw and supplements because we put in like spirulina, oh, you know, great. And, yeah. and probiotics and some digestive oh, enzymes and stuff. Yeah. I mean, whatever that our budget can afford, we'll try and do mm-hmm. it for them. Mm-hmm. And he just, he had a really good outdoor yeah. life for a couple of years. And, mm-hmm. you know, until, until his immune system yeah felv what happens yeah i mean you know it's that cycle of life thing the battery ran out eventually um yeah 
you know, exactly. and then we brought him home and gave him, you know, oh. like um, palliative care, you know, like, you know, until oh. it's time to go. But oh. Uh, oh, you should doc. You should be documenting all of this. <laughs> this is like a whole research project. I want to you seriously. You should t- like. I always say I wish I have to start taking pictures of my patients on the very first day I go to see them. <laughs> Because then you you get them switched over and everything changes and I know you, I'm terrible at documenting. That's the thing. I tend to you yeah. know I, I'm I'm the kind of person like okay I see something I I dive into it and I just get uh-huh. on with it you know That's and what I after do, the too. whole thing and I went hmm gee maybe I should have taken some pictures <laughs> or <laughs> <On> taken <video. laughs> yes. You know, uh, I'm so bad. I keep telling my friends, you know, maybe I should have like a GoPro on my forehead or something. Yes. <laughs> and I just go. like turn it on and then just get on with it. But yeah, I mean, that's the problem with me. It's like usually when, when I we do rescue work, it's pretty ad hoc. It's, you know, still yeah. at the moment. And, you know, yeah. usually your focus is, is on, on the animal and you're not thinking about, you know, the, the, the cameras and the documenting thing. And I keep telling myself, you know, I should really, really try and, and, yeah. and make an more yeah. but I, well we should make a deal i'll try to do it for my patients and you try to do it for the stray cats because okay. my heart is in like stray cat populations uh, i almost went to graduate school to just go and study the behavior of stray wow. cats. wow yeah. wow wow yeah. well you know that you know i wouldn't be surprised you know sometime down the road you're gonna say like you know what i feel like going back to school again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i'll come visit you in singapore and study yeah. history oh, definitely you know but yeah. yeah i mean you know so i i i realized nutrition even for a stray animal outside eating all yeah. sorts of food it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. you know um and yeah, so that's my journey and, and you know, with this podcast and, and meeting awesome people like you is a perfect excuse really so that yeah. I can meet awesome people like you <laughs> and, and, and pick your brain. Well, you animal know? people are all good people though. You know, if, if you like <laughs> animals, I figure, you know, they're good people. So, you know, uh, you know in your journey, um, doing your, your TCBM and all that, you know, when you, when you, um, finished vet school and then you were a lab technician and stuff how how did you end up with the chi institute i when i got out of vet school i um i went to work because again i didn't go to any internships or or any places like that because they they were paying you like next to nothing and you're working 24 hours a day emergency on call and i'm like that's ridiculous so what i did because i wanted to get a lot of experience right off the bat is there was a small animal shelter out in the middle of New Mexico that was hiring a veterinarian. And I had already worked in animal shelters before I went to vet school. So I took a job as an animal shelter vet and I was doing probably 30 surgeries a day. I mean, I was just standing at that surgery table, spaying and neutering, but I was out in a very rural Almost, uh, I want to see, it was probably as close to third world as you can get in the United States. It was a really poor community. There was two Indian reservations there. The three breeds of dogs that we saw the most were Rottweilers, Chows, and Pitbulls. There were fighting rings of Pitbulls there. 
Um, everybody had chihuahuas too. And there were the stray cats. We didn't, that's where I thought I was going to do my trap, neuter and release. We didn't do any trap, neuter and release because there were so many wild dogs running around. They were killing the stray cats. But I got so much experience seeing all kinds of trauma and they were unowned animals. So I could do surgery on them without the pressure of their owner waiting out in the waiting room, you know, but it was kind of, and a lot of cases I dove into because I was their last resort. If that animal is going to survive, I might as well put them on my surgery table and try to help them out, you know? And so I, I got a lot of really good practical experience. And then just seeing, you know, hundreds of animals file in front of me every day, examining them and, and treating them. But then I went to, um, I wanted to, I needed to get my acupuncture certification and Dr. Shea had just, open started teaching in the United States. Right. So before before the Chi Institute, there was the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, IVIS, and they'd been around for years. But the thing was, they took their, um, their acupuncture from somebody in England and Europe. Right and based it off of those schools of acupuncture. And then here's Dr. Shea, he was in Florida and I moved to Florida and he's from China and he's third generation. His father and his grandfather were both doctors in China. He tells stories of going up into the mountains and gathering herbs with his grandfather, you know? So I was like, no, I have to take my training from him. He's from China and he has all this. And it's true. He, when he came and started teaching in the United States, he actually, and when he, I I was in some of his earliest classes. So he does a lot of the teaching is still that oral transmission and he would be in the labs and he would just show you little tricks and tips that you aren't going to find in any textbook that aren't even in his textbooks that he's written today. But he actually came to the United States and brought one of the most important points for hip dysplasia in dogs that nobody had been using until he, he showed up. Yeah. So he brought like all, there's a lot of classical acupuncture points that aren't actually on the channels and the meridians that he knew about, you know? So, yeah. So that's why, and I, I took all of his courses and now I'm actually teaching. Well, we haven't had any classes because of this whole COVID thing, but, but I'm teaching up at his I, I, you're a really smart cookie. You're like a tactician, you know, you're, you're very strategic in in the the things that you're like a chess player because you look at, you look at the chessboard and then you sort of like Uh plot your path, you know, like, you know, it wasn't at the time. It didn't feel (laughs) like that though. It maybe it was like my guardian angel or something. My higher self was like, it's the spirit working through you, but yeah, it's, it's it's the way, the way that things happen and, and, and unfolded. And it's very interesting that you, you chose that you want to go to the source like to the original source as close as possible for the best knowledge, you know, that you can get. And, you know, I guess that would be the like grand, like great grandmaster kind of, you know, level. And I, and I do feel like that. And, but the thing about it, teaching with him too, he brought in, um, you know, his wife, he has this big fancy 
building now and you should see the campus is absolutely beautiful but when they started out we were in a little tiny room in the basement of this hotel with folding tables and chairs and then his farm was he had his uncles and grandfather were in the back room hand grinding the herbs wow. and filling them into capsules and his i will never forget like now where the big fancy building was was his wife's vegetable garden and i would always go up there and we would walk through the garden together and she was growing all these chinese vegetables but she was teaching me chinese food therapy she was like oh this this is good it's cooling you need to eat this in the winter if you have this and that and she was teaching me Chinese food therapy out of her own garden. So that, it just means a lot to me. And every time I go up there and see them, it's always like, it's kind of like going back home, you know, mm -hmm. it has that feeling to it, even though it's gotten so much bigger and he's got classes all over the world. Um, they're always like part of my family, you know? So he's so like your mentor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've been really, I've been really, really blessed, I have to say, because I've had some amazing teachers. I've had some amazing spiritual teachers, meditation teachers, um, and introduced to some, like, like you say, going to the source of things, mm. you know, so I've been very lucky that way. Oh, you've got an amazing mind there. That's all I can yeah. say. Because to, to, you have to be you have to be very open-minded and you know to accept a lot of these um alternative ideas and philosophies mm -hmm. and approaches you know at the same time you have to be a really smart cookie because there's so much reading to do and <laughs> well now i mean back then before before the internet we had books and you actually went and met with teachers face to face so there was that energetic connection mm -hmm. you know my my actually my very first meditation teacher was from taiwan but i met her in florida and then she introduced me to this amazing Rinpoche, tibetan rinpoche who he's still alive now but he's in bhutan but when when I met I because I was her student, he showed up in Miami out of nowhere on his travels. And somebody came to me and they said, You realize you were sitting next to the Lama and when he goes and teaches out in California, you can't get within a hundred feet of him because there's so many people near him, you know? Wow. So I've just had those kinds of experiences show up, but I've also been you know, and I, I went out to the Navajo Indian Reservation for one of my externships and I worked there because I wanted to, the Navajos raise a lot of sheep and they have horses and they had a veterinary program. They were very poor, so they needed help and they used veterinary students to come out and help work on the animals. So I figured, you know, I'm going to be donating my services and I want to go hang out with a Navajo. But when I show up someplace like that, I'm always very humble and I'm coming into their world and I'm just hoping that they might open the doors and share something with me of their world, you know, instead of me coming in as like, well, the vet student, I know everything. And I was shown, I was taken amazing places on the Navajo reservation when I was out there. I was taken to some of their most sacred sites. I was taken out to 
um, this woman who needed her horse castrated and she had me do it in the traditional way and had me do the whole ceremony as wow. I was doing it. Like I took blood from the incision and wiped on the bottoms of the horse's feet and down his nose. So when he woke up out of the anesthesia, he would know what was done. And then it's a funny story. She, <laughs> because I showed up out there and she was dressed in all of her traditional finery and she was sitting on a bale of hay and her, the Navajos are a maternal culture. They're a matrilineal, matriarchal. So the women are the bosses and her husband and her eldest son were standing behind her with their best cowboy hats on and these starched white shirts. And there's this mangy horse and the cowboys, I, I injected him with anesthesia and the cowboys were holding him onto the ground and I had to go each cowboy had a horse leg in their hand and I had to go in between the horse legs to make the incision to take out the testicles. And, and she started laughing, the old Navajo woman, and she said something in Navajo and all the Indians around me. I was the only white person there and I was the only one who didn't understand Navajo. And they all started laughing and I just stopped and I'm like, why are you guys laughing? And the one guy said, she said, he said, well, he, she thinks you're having a hard time pulling the, the testicles off the horse. She said, you need longer fingernails and to get in there, just grab them. And then, and then they said, you have to, they said, wait a minute when you get them cut, because we have to ask her a question. So they asked her a question in Navajo and she responded and they told me, they turned to me and they said, you have to take the horse's testicles and after you cut them out, you have to throw them up over the head of the horse. And I'm like, you're kidding, right? And they said, no, because when the horse wakes up, she wants, we asked her if she wanted a fast horse or a slow horse. And if the testicles are thrown over the head of the horse, then the horse will be chasing them for the rest of his life. And so he'll be oh, a wow. really fast horse. Very symbolic. That is very symbolic. So I took them and threw them over the head of the horse. <laughs> but it was that, I mean, I'll never forget that experience in my whole life, you know? And it was part of, I was willing to be open enough and follow their traditional ways. You know, and afterwards there were, everybody was really happy, but it was like a initial, and that, that happened to me a half an hour after I pulled into the vet clinic on that reservation. I was in a truck and I was like hauled out there. It was like my initiation, you know. <laughs> wow. So, wow. You've yeah. had, you've had quite a few very interesting experiences, huh? Yeah. yeah. Just doing all this, uh, front, I would say like frontier medicine, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But also, you know, it's, it goes back into that because all of our alternative and what we call integrative, it's all really ancient medicine. It's ancient knowledge that goes way back into cultures. You know, I think sometimes we think that we are so technologically advanced right now and we have all these fancy drugs and everything else, but people have been healing each other and healing animals since we've been on this planet, since there have been people to heal and people getting sick and animals getting sick. And so it's almost like going back into the past and pulling that information back forward, you know, and integrating it with what we know now. So, you know, of all the modalities that you do, um, which would you say is your superpower or your favorite tool? 
I mean, honestly, my favorite tool is, is the needles, the acupuncture needles, but they really are. It really is. Um, because I've seen, I've had so many cases, but here's the thing. When I started doing acupuncture, I knew it wasn't just about the needle. It was about the person putting the needle into the, right? So, you know, if you go back, and that's why I, I used five elements as the name of my practice. But if you go back into ancient Taoism, it's all about cultivating your own chi, because that is what is going to flow through those needles and is going to make a difference between somebody in a Western clinic walking into a room and putting the needles in and walking out versus me coming to treat your animal and placing the needles. So it's the energetics plus the intention that makes you part yes. of that, the, the healing process. It is the intention. That's and and Dr. I that's the key. I got that from Dr. Shea, my mm-hmm. teacher at the Chi Institute. I got the same thing from my Tibetan Lama because I asked him a question and and you know, now mind you, I'm in a full I'm in a room full of Buddhists. And I asked this Rinpoche, I, and again, I mean, this is maybe my gumption, and maybe I was just too stupid at the time to even ask this question, but I asked a question, I raised my hand and I said, Rinpoche, I'm a veterinarian, and there's a lot of times where I have to euthanize animals, you know, I have to put an animal to sleep and kill an animal, because he, and he would, wasn't sure what euthanized meant in English, he had a translator there, but and I said, you know, as a Buddhist who you're saying not to kill anything and the karma involved in that, you know, what can you, what do, what do I do? And he sat there and got really still and the whole room, everybody around me was kind of like, oh my gosh, he's asking them about killing animals. <laughs> you know? But the room got really still and I never in my life felt like somebody else had x-ray vision on me before but it was like he scanned my whole entire being like taking off my clothes and going straight into my heart and looking at my heart and he didn't say anything for about 10 minutes I mean it was almost like people were getting uncomfortable and then he finally he finally said he said the 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 karmic you know value or whatever of the actions that you do depend upon your intention behind them. Mm. And if your intention is to ease the suffering of another sentient being, then that's a good thing to do. It's a compassionate thing to do. So I've always, and I'm so glad I asked that question years ago when I did, because now I would (laughs) I'd be like, oh man, you know, (laughs) because I know too many of the ramifications of it, but that really gave me something to hold on to because I I do a lot of hospice work and I do a lot of end of life work. Mm. And that's part of what got me into Tibetan Buddhism to begin with, because I was searching for on the spiritual path, I was searching for you know, any answer to what happens around dying, what is dying, what happens to us afterwards. And they have a very well, because it's, it's frankly, you know, I think palliative care, hospice care, um, end of life care, it's, it, it can be so sad. And 
um, not just mentally, emotionally, but physically as well. You know, it's it's draining if you if it you is. if you take it in a very negative way. Um, you know, um, I've been I've been through it as well, so I know that the heartache, you know, the pain. Oh and yeah, the suffering. And you can get like compassion fatigue. It yeah. is very draining. Very draining. Yeah, I, I mean, especially you being a vet and everything. You know, um, compassion fatigue will be like you know up there really. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I find it like amazing, you know, again, you know, that question is like, how did you cope? And, you know, as you say, you were looking for a spiritual way of, of, of coping with it. Yeah. And, and you found it with his answer. And I found it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still, I, I, that, that was years ago and I'm, I am still now on, um, you know, I, at this point, I would consider myself a death doula and I have been most of my life before I even knew what that meant or knew that that existed. And it's just been in the past few years where I've really just taken that on and owned it. And that in itself is a whole nother, a whole nother path that goes again, way back into antiquity, you know, of, of oh. ushering. Yeah. So for, for the listeners who don't know what's a deaf doula, could you explain what, what that is? Um, a doula is oftentimes we think of them as a, it's a coach for birthing babies in like a midwife, but also, you know, really helping the mother and helping going in on a, on a holistic, spiritual, physical, emotional way to open that gateway for that being to come into this world. And a death doula is just doing it the opposite direction for beings to leave the world. So it, it, it involves the things of hospice and, and all of that, but also on an energetic level, it's being able to literally, I, I always think of it as walking hand in hand with that being to the edge of the threshold and then being able to let them go as gracefully as possible when they choose to. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's heavy stuff, you know. It, it, it is very heavy stuff. And I've, um, you know, I, I, I euthanized like thousands of animals as when I worked at the animal shelter. And I think that's really, and now most of my patients that come to me, I'm their doctor until the end, you know, and even so it's, it never gets like easier. It's not an easy thing, but I know that there's a lot of patients that I want to be the one there to help them through. Did you ever think of quitting? Like stopping, like I've had enough. I don't no. want this crap anymore, you know, not happy. There's times, no, I mean, I, what I have done is I've been much more selective in my clients. Right. And I've been selective in the patients that I take care of because um, if I feel I'm very, I'm very careful about my boundaries and boundary setting at this point in time, because some people can really, you know, that draining thing, they have to, um, you know, if leeches. they feel like, yeah, leeches, exactly. So if there's somebody that has a, has way too much baggage, I just, I'm like, you know what, you need to 
call this number, go see this person, <laughs> literally, because there's only so much. I, I realize I'm not out to save the world. I, I'm only one person. I can, that's part of why I love doing podcasts like this, to get the message out to people, um, because you can reach so many more people. But I will always do the work that I'm doing on some level. You know, wow. it's just, and it's interesting that I, I don't advertise and I, in a lot of ways, I really feel like there's certain animals that I think animals, just like people are on different spiritual levels and are on different places on the spiritual path. And there are certain animals that literally, I swear they beam me out and find me and then they're owners call up and they're like i'm like how did you even get my number and there'll be some crazy story with it you know but the animals connect in with me but a lot of those animals i mean our animals i really feel like our dogs and cats and our domestic animals right now are on a mission to help us because where we are right now on this planet and even more so with this crazy virus thing if people don't understand what a crucial turning point we're at, then then they need to be knocked up alongside the head. But our our domestic animals right now are literally here to try to teach us and help guide us through. I've had animals come to me that have taken on disease from their owners. I've had animals come to me that have helped, helped people through major transitions in their life, deaths, divorces, moving, um, having babies, miscarriages, and that animal was their emotional support to get through that situation, you know, like they give so yeah, much. I, I completely agree with that, you know, for me, I, I've always felt that, um, Animals are basically angels sent from heaven. Yes. Yes. And they're they're here, and, and they're here on this on this earth is really to teach us many different things. Different, you know, mm -hmm. everyone has a different role, but there's always a lesson to be learned. You know, be yeah. it be it they become food that you eat, you know, yeah. to to um, you know, creatures that you feed, you yeah. know, you take care of or you rehome or you adopt, you know, but I always found that they, 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 are, they're, sent, yeah, they're, they're sent here to, to teach us to become better human beings. And if, exactly. we are, if, and if we listen and we open ourselves more, we learn from them, you know? Oh, definitely. They're here to open our hearts. I have a really good friend who's, um, he's actually my roommate still, but we, we worked together in the animal field and we had a rescue. He actually, we had a, rescue truck he drove around Miami for several years but he would pick up the the messages of the animals psychically and he finally got to the point it, this one dog we the dogs down here they'll be like half dead they won't be dead but they'll be half dead laying by the side of these highways with all the traffic coming by and he would get calls to go pick them up but he got this message from this dog one time and the dog was like you know Tom, Tom has a big heart and he was like, wow, you're laying here suffering and in so much pain. And, he, and the dog said, every single car that goes by that sees me, I hope that this opens their heart just a little bit further. Wow. You know, so that's, you know, that's like a bodhisattva thing. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that's why, you know, it's, it's hard because 
um, like in my volunteer work here, we do actually come across abuse cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That those are hard. Those are the hardest. Those you know, are the hardest. And 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 because I, you know, uh, I volunteer as an advocate, so we try to push for, you know, investigations, you know, like the law mm-hmm. and stuff. But animal welfare in Singapore is still not a high priority. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So so you know, it's hard always, enough here. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's we. I, I actually think it's so much better in the U.S. You know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, when we come across abuse cases and the really hard ones, it's it's psychologically it's 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 very traumatic because we go through videos and and pictures, you know, um, as part of like, yeah. you know, for the cases that we you know we try to push uh-huh. for, and uh, it's yeah no what what people will do to animals. I saw a lot of it out in New Mexico. I, I had a yeah. I mean, I saw like animals burned. I saw animals raped. I saw animals. Yeah, exactly. And, and that and I I had to quit after I had to quit after a while. I was a lot younger though, but a year of that, I was, um, you know, it was an it was a knife and gun club community, and there was a lot of heroin addiction. There was a lot of domestic violence there, and so the animals took the full brunt of yeah. what while the people themselves were not there they were all in it themselves but i had a he was a gang member literally and his top fighting pit bull came into our shelter for about the 10th time in two months because he wasn't keeping him in and taking care of him and this dog was so beat up and so scarred its head was just a like solid scar and we needed kennel space and so I gave the order to put the dog to sleep because I was like he's not keeping him in he's gonna get run over by a car and we can't adopt him the next day this gang member walked in to the shelter screaming and yelling about where his dog was his prize fighting dog even though dog fighting was illegal Mm. and I came out of surgery and everybody was freaking out and they were some, I think somebody was even calling the cops and I came out of surgery and I looked at this guy in the face. I mean, he could have taken a gun knife or gun out and killed me right there. I said, come with me. I'm going to show you where your prize fighting dog is because you couldn't take good enough care of him. And I walked him by myself back to the back room and popped open the freezer because I'd put that dog to sleep that morning and it was right on top staring him in the face when I opened the freezer door and he took about he turned white as a ghost I thought he was going to pass out he took about 10 steps back and his whole entire countenance in his body shifted I I, and I'm lucky he didn't turn and kill me but he just shifted and he was like oh my god and he just sunk like something I think finally hit him in the heart you know, because he'd lost the dog and his dog was laying there dead in front of him. Um, and he quietly turned and walked back out of the shelter and didn't say a word to anybody, you know, mm-hmm. but he got the message. And I, I mean, the poor dog, but the dog wasn't, the dog was leading a life of a lot of suffering too, you know. Yeah. But I think it, I think it hit him. But when you're dealing with that intensive situations and like the abuse and seeing animals just torn up and damaged so badly, it's, Mm. it's hard. Yeah. But 
you know, what advice would you can you give to say, you know, people who have who are in that situation dealing with that kind of thing today, you know, um, with you know, with your experience now, you know, um, advocate. I, the, the advice I would give if you're on a frontline worker dealing with those situations is take care of yourself. Take breaks. Do a lot of self-care. You know, step away from it for a while and, and then come back. Like, make sure. And, and I set my whole life up actually to this day. I take a full weekend off. I, I mean, it's almost like in this crazy world we live in, nobody takes weekends off anymore, but my Saturdays and Sundays are mine and mine alone. I don't care if I have emergency cases, I have animals about ready to die. I tell people, I say, if I'm gonna, if you're going to need me, you're going to be able to get a hold of me. And I turn my phone off and I take that time for myself. You know, I tell people, Dr. Josie is off the planet for the weekend. And I go into my own little world and I, I do, I do meditation. I do, I just started with a Pilates instructor yesterday. I take care of my body. I do yoga. I go for walks in the woods. I eat well, um, cook well, do my own supplements. Um, I actually just started making flower essences, which have been a huge wow. So I have my own line of flower essences for animals and people, but my dog, I went through, I found, I went through a really traumatic breakup. I found um, my partner of eight years nearly overdosed on opioids and I reached into the void and literally pulled him back across that threshold. And after that, it was just such a shock to my system, even though all the things I've been through and I deal with death all the time, I, I started taking my dog out into the woods and we started finding flowers everywhere. So, and I started making flower essences and they kept, they healed my heart and, and allowed me to give something back. So it's all, it's really about taking care of yourself and connecting in and having, having some type of a spiritual practice, you know, whether it's just a walking meditation, whether it's, you know, it's taking care of yourself. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people don't, they don't find that balance, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not just say, you know, in frontline, like animal welfare, but I think even in general life, you know, going yeah. to the office, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be so dramatic. You know, working, working, working all the time. You know, I, I, I teach it to my clients. It's like, you know, you don't have to jump every time. Turn your notifications off on the phone, <laughs> number one. <laughs> so there's uh, no yeah. point, no notifications. And it's up to you to go check those, that phone when, when it's the time is right, you know? Mm. So, yeah. You're really good at setting boundaries huh? and, and self-care. Yeah. I mean, how, how long have you been... Have you always been like that? Oh. No, it's been a long, it's been a lifelong practice. And I've been put in lots of situations, just like working at the shelter. I mean, I've been put in a lot of really hardcore situations where I had to set boundaries. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't be here now. What, what would you say is, you know, do you, do you have like a, <clears throat> a morning routine or, you know, that you do to prime <laughs> and prep yourself for the day? 
you know, uh, you know, actually it's, that's been a real struggle for me, but I developed, I'm really set. I found one I really like right now, but it, it involves an online community that is, um, more into kind of the Western mystical hermetic tradition. So I do, I do spiritual journal. I've always done journaling. So I do a spiritual journal. So I record my, I wake up, I make a nice cup of tea and I record my dreams. I, I draw a tarot card for the day. I um, look at the astrology because I've been studying astrology forever. I draw, pick a rune and then I make my daily list of the things that I want to get done that day. And that might be seeing appointments, but that might be, you know, oh, I need to go to the grocery store or I really want to sit down and start reading this book. So I write all those things down and then at the end of the day, and then I usually go and take my dog for a walk, a good hour walk, you know, just out in the fresh air. Um, there's some really nice parks here. So we've got like a two mile walking trail. And then at the end of the day, I go back and review what I did on my list and, um, and just think about what I want to accomplish for tomorrow. And it kind of, it's, I've started this since this whole quarantine and it's really given me, otherwise I don't think I'd even know what day of the week it is right now because everything's so mixed up, but it's really giving me structure and helped a lot. So, and I'm always doing like internal stuff, whether it's a different kind of meditation, I'm deity practice, um, you know, my, I'm always doing something. Right. Just self-improvement wise, or just to relax, just relaxation techniques. I've got a biomat. I do yoga. I try to do yoga at least every day. So. Wow. So would you say this whole coronavirus thing, blessing or disguise, or blessing or curse? It is, I, in, in the communities I've run in, everybody has known something was going to happen and something was going to take place and a big shift was coming. And all of the indigenous communities I've been involved with, they've all been saying this, get prepared, get prepared, get prepared. I would have never guessed it would have been something like this. But at the same time, when I was back in that veterinary school working in the ClinPath lab, the microbiologists, and we had, a, we had a, a laboratory in veterinary school who monitored the influenza virus. They were part of the whole global influenza monitoring system. So they would have the virus sent to them from China and incubated in eggs to try to come up with a vaccine every year. So I was around all those people and every, all the time, everybody was talking about when is the big outbreak going to happen? When is the next epidemic or pandemic going to happen? Because everybody in the scientific community, they're like, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. But when mm -hmm. is it going to be? Right. You know, and when Ebola happened, that I was in vet school when that Ebola outbreak thing happened way back when, and, and that was a scary thing. But that didn't turn into an epidemic because the virus killed everybody off too fast for it to spread. <laughs> Whereas now we're stuck with this weird thing that I don't know. I There's, there's a lot of unknowns with this. Mm. But in a sense, I think it's a blessing because it has helped. It is it has shut down human activity. It's almost like saying, all right, guys, you're out of control. You got to stop and you got to slow down. You know, and you look at the environmental things that have happened. We can see this 
they can see the sky from India over the, they can see the Himalayan mountains. There's dolphins swimming up in Venice. There's not all these air traffic all the time, you know? So there's, I think we need to learn about that. What kind of world do we want to live in? And, and it's also forced people to slow down and look within, you know? Most definitely. Yeah. I, I think, well, in Europe or in the old days, nobody used to work on a Sunday. <laughs> yes. Clothes, you know, I mean, there was yes. a time when businesses were actually not supposed to work. You know, weekends were really weekends, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. Um, but now I think with, I don't know, commercial businesses and, and the global economy and, you know, the, the global internet, economy there, yeah. Uh, the internet and everything, that interconnectedness and always that, that, that sense of urgency, whether or not it's real or not, of being, you need to be on 24-7. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's and it's it's been amazing cutting out back from that, you know, because I realized how much it's take was taken over myself, and I'm a pretty conscious person, but it's you know, and then you look, you know, there's so much depression and mental illness, and you know, there's veterinarians, veterinary medicine right now in the United States is the number one field for suicides. I can't tell you how many young veterinarians have killed themselves in the wow. past few years. Yeah. And that's saying, you know, something's really wrong. Mm, I agree. So, you know, um, yeah, I think with this coronavirus, it's it's been a time to like rethink and reset. You know, yes. it's almost it's almost like yes. Mother Earth giving us a warning, the universe giving us a warning. Yes. You know, oh, I, I definitely know. think it is. Wake it's up, like think, or else shit's gonna hit yeah. You know, and you know, we're like a bunch of little five-year-olds running around like crazy. Like, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And pretty soon we're not going to have clean air to breathe or water to drink or a food supply. You know, if we're killing the bees off, yeah. you know, what? how far disconnected can we get? And, and, you know, I firmly believe I'm a spiritual person. I think there's powers far greater than us. And, and even if humans die off on this planet, this is something everybody forgets. The planet will still be here. Yeah. And there'll be some form of DNA or RNA or some bacteria or virus that's going to keep on going and evolving, whether yeah. we're here or not. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, actually, no. I've actually told my friends, I said, you know, um, <laughs> If, if the plants die, we will die. But if we die first, if we, the human race got wiped out, the planet will Everybody heal. Will, yeah, the Everybody planet will, will be heal. happy. Everyone else, the animals will rejoice, man. I think they'll throw a party. Yeah. You know? yes. like, well, there's oh, all these pictures of animals coming in the city. And yeah. I have had more birds around my house this spring and summer than ever. I mean, I have seen like all these blue jays and cardinals and hawks and birds are everywhere. You know, yeah, I think, you know, the thing is the pollution that, you know, we, we always sort of think it's just the air and the sky, but, you know, there's so much pollution that we've created as a human race because, oh, you, know, yeah. you, you know, like the sea, yeah. you know, underwater, you know, um, the road, everything, even even like using our smartphones and, and internet thingy, that's a level, that's a lot of pollution that's going around, yeah. you know. And that's all the, all those 
precious metals that are in the cell phone to make it work. I mean, I just had to go out and buy a new iPhone this last <laughs> week. I still have my iPhone six because I'm like, and it still works, but you know what? It's becoming obsolescent. It won't pick up the Wi-Fi signals as mm. fast anymore. It's so the upcoming plan, you see. Yes, it is. So I have to go buy a new phone, even though this phone right here works just fine. But I can't get it. I can't connect anymore. Yeah, but so, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting um, with you and your energetics and, you know, uh, your spirit, using your spiritual side in, with your work, you know, and it's a philosophy, you know, yeah. it, it really is a philosophy of life and how you approach things. And I just find that really, you know, uh, fascinating and, and amazing because talking to you, like I said, you know, you might do things, you know, haphazardly by, you know, by, yeah. like, I didn't really plan it, but you know, yeah, this is how it happened. <laughs> yeah. But when I look, when I look at your journey and I said like, oh um, my God, she's done all these things. She's so gung ho. And it's like, wow, very strategic, you know? <laughs> That's so funny. It's so interesting, but it's good to get that kind of feedback and look at it, you know, in a different light. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just want to thank you for, for, for really, you know, taking the time to, to speak to me, but one last question. Well, yeah. well I keep saying that, but you know, yeah. it's like throughout your whole journey, um, what, what would you say would be the, the most proud of, you know, in your whole journey? Right now, I mean, what's come up for me in this past week is the fact, the fact that I'm still standing in many ways and I'm standing on my own feet and I'm actually, even <clears throat> with the state of the state of the state of the world right now with COVID and the economy and everything else, I'm actually in a better place than I've ever been in my life. And that has because I've, I've followed my path and I've been true to myself throughout it. I've really worked to maintain my own integrity and, and be honest to the people around me and following my path. Cause I've gone through some, a lot of really hardships. I, I came, I came from a family. It was a good family from the outside, but there was, I went through a lot of abuse. I went through early childhood sexual abuse um i've been through my my father died my mother just recently died my family pretty much disowned me but i've been through a lot of emotional turmoil and yet i've done i've followed my heart because in my heart's been to help the animals and and to make the world a better place for them and be an advocate for them and i feel like i've been doing that and I'm, i'll continue to do that so I, and I have no regrets. There's nothing in my, there's nothing in my life. I mean, I've gone out, I've had fun. I've done some crazy things. I've traveled and I have no, absolutely no regrets. I'm really glad, especially now with everything locked down that I've done the things I've done, you know. I think, so. I think I used to, I used to think, you know, the bad things that, oh crap, the shit that's happened is really, mm -hmm. you know, really screwed up. But, you know, in the last year or so, you know, uh, I've actually, you know, like really come to terms with the fact that all that crap that happened is actually good stuff because yeah. it actually molded you all, all the obstacles, all the hardships that went through. If you didn't go through those things, it wouldn't have made you the person that you are today. I wouldn't be here where exactly. I am today. 
Yeah. You know? so, Even though, you know, you can tell these crazy stories about it, how horrible it was, but no, it's like, and those, you know, ultimately those were all teachers for me. Teachers. So who, who would you say, you know, um, inspires you the most? Oh my goodness. Wow. There are so many, there's so many people and so many teachers and, and things like I say that I've had, you know, actually I, I had a really cool experience and this was just yesterday. I, um, there's a writer, she's a writer and art author, a musician that I've been following since I've been in high school, um, Patty Smith. And I, um, I, I stole her books of poetry out of the Denver Public Library <laughs> because they were like, I was like hanging onto them because she was such a role model of a woman who was just being herself. And yesterday I, I joined, I, I had followed her on her Instagram public profile. Yesterday, she sent me a private message off of Instagram and saying, because I commented on one of her links of what made just a really nice comment. And she's like, you know, you sound like a really nice person. I want to get to know you. And we texted back and forth a few times. And then she said, I really, I never do this to anybody, but I'd really like to just hang out and talk with you. And she sent me her WhatsApp link. Wow. And I was like, it, to me, because she has been such a, she's been a mentor from afar of somebody who I'd like to live my life like they have, you know? And yeah, so she contacted me, so. <laughs> it's the like, oh. Honestly, this, this, is, this is where I say the universe listens to you. Yes. And, you, and yes. what you wish for. So it'll, to your know. heart. Yeah. That's, yeah. I love that. I love that. The universe listens to your heart. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of things will become manifested that way. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. how I look at things, you know. So it's like, you know, um, you meeting, meeting your mentor that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not. It was totally out of the blue, you know. <laughs> but it's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I yeah. would say it's almost the same as, you know, like me wanting to meet you and talk to you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, it is. It's like, oh my gosh, I get to talk to this person who I've, you know, just loved from afar. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. But we get to do this. You're in Singapore and I'm in Miami, Florida. <laughs> exactly, you know, and I and awesome. again, like I said, the internet, you know, is a tool that that, you know, it's it can be used for good and for evil. And yeah. the thing is, you know, um I think because you do consultations on 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 the internet as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, you know, I I think like, you know, anyone around the world, even in Singapore, if they want an alternative opinion, they can look for Definitely. you. Definitely. Yeah, they can look for me. Um, Dr. Josie's five elements.com. And I have my consultation link up there. I actually did a consult with somebody in Japan not that long ago with this amazing dog. I, I do a little bit of animal communication and she sent me a picture of this dog. And as soon as I looked at it, it was like he just flooded me with messages for her. Wow. Really cool case. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but people can look me up there. They can find me on Instagram as Dr. Josie Petbet. 
and on Facebook. I'm kind of leaning off of Facebook has become incredibly political here um, recently. So I'm just <laughs> backing away from that. It's really, the United States is in a really crazy place right now. Well, I think, I think anything that, that's negative and repels you, you should just self-care, as you keep saying, set your boundaries. Yep. Around. And yeah, yeah, back off and I'm going more on, you know, other routes. So <laughs> well, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for, for making the time to speak to me today. Uh, it's truly an honor. And, you know, I, I, all I can say is, wow. I mean, like your journey and your stories, um, you know, I, I, it's truly inspiring. And I really hope that the younger generation who listen to this will be inspired as well and go kick ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you if you believe in something, if you believe in something enough to know it, like in your heart and in your bones, like go for it. Yeah. You know, speak up and speak up. You know, one thing I wish, and this is something that I think everybody needs to hear, is when I was younger, I thought like all the older people around me like just knew all these secrets and knew how to walk in the world and, and function in the world and just knew, had all this secret knowledge that I had to somehow discover on my own. And that's not true at all. Um, you know, if you, if you know something, you know, you know it and, and go for it, get it out there. And again, I think that's where the internet is really coming in. There's some people that are doing some amazing work and there's young herbalists and I, there's so many people just on my Instagram feed, you know, that I'm buying products from. And again, that's the other thing is get off of Amazon and, and search out people in your local community. And even it doesn't even have to be local community. I buy antiviral. I've got an alchemist in Santa Fe. I'm buying antiviral alchemical formulas from and I've got a woman up in North Carolina making homemade ghee and I do crystal stone medicine with somebody you know up in the Carolinas as well so there's a lot of medicine people out there and there's a lot of people doing grassroots stuff and I think that's what we need to tune into right now and support one another you know, that's what's going to pull us through this shift and I think one thing that I like about, about you um, listening to your story is the fact that if you didn't know something or if you had a question, you just ask. I like the fact that you ask. ask. Yeah, always ask. If you don't know, just ask and you'll get the answer. That's the thing. You will. You will. Sometimes I, I've asked questions and it's had to wait a year or two <laughs> to get the answer. But it's true. Ask and, and you never know what might come through or what door that might open for you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you're a very cool lady. That's all I can oh. say. You're, you're oh, really a cool thank lady. You. <laughs> I just, I, I love it. I love it. You know, um, and I just, you know, thank you so much. Thank you. So oh, much. you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on here and doing what you do. Thank you for listening to Dr. Josie's story. Look out for Maria Gargari's interview next week. Wow, I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone. <laughs>